So I want to let you know that the good night, there's a lot of snowballs up here, uh, that the uh, first hour, uh, I, I was surprised to see you all sitting because um, uh, in the first hour, we had people running around the room throwing snowballs. I saw one guy swing a Bible at someone. So uh, <laughs> ask your friends if the church they went to this past weekend, when you see them this week, ask them if they had a snowball Bible fight uh, at their church. So uh, happy new year. Um, <laughs> and I wonder, listen, I wonder if we went around the room and just kind of everyone got to say, what is it about the new year that you are new years that you like? Uh, what you would say, if you would, if you would say something like, you know, the party on New Year's Eve, I really like that, or just hanging out with friends and doing stuff, I like that, or, or watching the ball drop. I wonder for how many people, I and mean, for some reason, watching that ding-dong ball drop, you know, I don't, <laughs> what significance does that have? <laughs> you know, but we, I mean, we get and throw it, or, you know, smooching at midnight, Come on, on your favorite, come on, smooching at midnight. You know, one of the things I love about New Year's, and Sandy and I, by the way, would smooch at midnight, but it's hard to smooch when you're sleeping. So uh, uh, one, of the, one of the chief things I love about the New Year's is that it's kind of, it has its own built-in start-over button. I mean, last year has ended, and the new year, uh, we're starting over. Clean slate, if you know what I mean. You know, for some of us, 2016 did not and well, <coughs> Buckeyes, and uh, <laughs> finally got the tear stains off my cheeks. Uh, others of us, we just had a rough year. It's like 2016 got together early in 2015 and conspired against us and spent all year last year beating us up. And we've been wanting to start over for a while now. For others of us, 2016 was great. We loved it. It was the best year ever. And we've been wanting to just kind of do it again in 2017. That's why, by the way, on your notes, there are some quotes that resonate with me. Check these out. They're on the, on the top of your notes if you haven't pulled those out yet. Brad Paisley said this. He said, tomorrow, he's talking about this morning, uh, is the first blank page of a 365-page book, write a good one. Man, I, quotes like that make me reflect a bit. They, they inspire me to dream a bit about what this new year, what, what it can be all about. Check out this next one. Richard Evans said, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon but that we wait so long uh, to begin it. Man, I love stuff like that. Or the one just underneath that, life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want to, but you only get to spend it once. Thoughts, thoughts like that spur me to, to think differently, to dream uh, better dreams, to think new thoughts, to, to erase the whiteboard, if you would, and just kind of start over again, at least long enough to ask this question, because I think it's important that we ask this, where do I want to end up? Right? Uh, at the end of this next year, at the end, or this year, at the end of 2017, where do I want to end up? And is what I'm doing going to get me there? Fair question. Where do I want to be at the end of 2017? And the things that I'm doing right now, are they going to get me there? This morning, we're going to talk uh, about setting ourselves up to succeed in what is going to drive you and us beginning uh, today. You know, the beginning of a new year, uh, again, great time to think about new goals, getting a fresh start. Um, some people make that plan. They call them uh, resolutions. Uh, and, and listen, do you know what the top five resolutions from last year are? Check these out. This is starting with number five. Stay healthy, stay fit and healthy. Enjoy life to the fullest, right? Uh, 
spend less, save more. Surprising. I'm really glad that is somebody's, that was a, one of the top resolutions from last year. Uh, the next one, number two, get organized. So that's five, four, three, two, get organized. Do you know what the number one, the number one New Year's resolution from last year, it's the same resolution. The number one resolution has been, I don't for decades, I don't even know how long now. The number one New Year's Eve resolution is always what? lose weight. Yeah, man, I love the story of the guy who made that his New Year's resolution. His wife walked into the bathroom at home, saw him weighing himself. Uh, well, he's on the scales and he's sucking in his stomach. And she's thinking to herself, amateur, uh, and, you know, she just couldn't believe it. He thought he was going to lose, you know, way less by sucking in his stomach. So very sarcastically, she said, that is not going to help. He goes, it is going to help. It's the only way I can see the numbers. Um, <laughs> Here's what God says, Jeremiah 29. You've heard these verses before. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. You will seek me and find me when you do it with all your heart. Not half-heartedly, not occasionally. No. When you look at, when you, when you come chasing after me, man, when you chase hard after me, that's when you will find me. And I'm telling you, when you're with me, this is what I've got. And these, these are words spoken to the Israelites in the Old Testament. These are Old Testament words spoken to the nation of Israel. But I believe that the promise, the principle that God had for him, the intentions are for his followers today as well. So if that's God's desire for us, I want to, as we start this, I want to talk about why do you think so many people just don't do this? Why is it success seems so far from so many people? Uh, as a matter of fact, it seems that the norm in life is more status quo than it is success. Does that, success is not the status quo for most people. Why is that? Why don't they seem to achieve beyond what's average or what the norm is? Four reasons. They're on your notes. I want to make sure you get this uh, because I want us to think through this as we go into this year. The first reason is that some people just don't even feel the need to succeed. They like it the way it is. They don't want it to change. They're content. They're satisfied. But the reality is they're asking the wrong question because the people are asking, do I, need to, do I really need to succeed? When really what we have to ask ourselves, if we're going to follow Jesus, if, we're, if we see ourselves in that light, the question is, what does God expect of me? What did he create me to be? What did he create me to do? Because when you fail to be all that God created you to become, it not only limits you, it limits his influence through your life. He created you so that he, you could influence other people for the sake of his kingdom. Someone once said this, if you've accomplished all you planned for yourself, you probably just haven't planned enough. And so we, you know, the question is, what does God, at, by the end of this year, what does God want to accomplish inside of me and through me is really the question we need to be asking. The second reason some people fail to succeed is they're afraid of it. And some are afraid of the commitment that if I'm going to try to be successful, this commitment, some people are afraid of the continued expectations, right? Because if I get straight A's this term, my parents are going to expect what next term? I can expect it. If I could do it once, well, you can do it every time if you can do it once. And that's actually not the case, but, but that's the expectation. I just don't think I can do that every time. Others fear success because of the risk involved or, or because they have this poor self-image. There's a lot of reasons why people fear success, but the truth is that some people do. Here's the third one. They're suspicious of success. Interestingly, uh, this is especially true among Christians and inside the church. 
somehow we have equated being successful with being less spiritual. That if you're successful, you must not be as spiritual because if you were more spiritual, you wouldn't have to be successful. Um, and if, so if someone is successful, we conclude, number one, they can't be uh, humble. And quite likely, if they're successful, they must have uh, watered down somehow their faith, compromised their faith, sacrificed their faith somewhere along the line. Which is really interesting because I want you to stop, stop, think about this for a minute. Can you think of any successful people in the Bible? Bible characters, God-fearing people who are successful. I don't know that there are any. I mean, except Joseph and, and Deborah, Daniel, Solomon, Paul, Peter, Nehemiah. I mean, we, <laughs> you could go on and on. The peop, listen, people we look up to as beacons of our faith who were successful people in their culture. Here's the last reason. Some people never plan to succeed. We, we hope for it. It'd be nice if it happened. We just don't make any plans for it to happen. We're kind of like the dad of the little boy, and he had a little dude who was, he came crying to his dad because he had swallowed a penny and he was afraid he was going to die. And the dad, so the dad was thinking quick on his feet. He slipped a penny out of his pocket into his hand and pretended to pull it out of his son's ear. And he started laughing and clapping. He grabbed the penny, swallowed it again, and said, do it again, Dad. Do it again, you know. And <laughs> just don't think that far. I mean, you know, listen, when we get in the car to take a trip, we know where we're starting. We know where we want to end up, and we kind of have an idea of how we're going to get there. The question is, do we do that with our time and with, with what, this 2017? We know where we're starting today. We know where we are today. Do you have an idea of where you want to end in 2017? And do you know what it takes to get from where you are to where you want to be? What will it take to get there? Listen, if we don't figure that out, we wander aimlessly through life just hoping that everything works out. The reason that many people do not succeed is either they don't know what they want out of life or they haven't stopped to figure out how to get it. Think about that. The reason many people don't succeed in life is either they haven't figured out what they want or they haven't stopped to figure out how to get what they want. The Apostle Paul addresses this. Philippians chapter 3, it's going to be on the screen. He writes this, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's not from what I do or don't do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not, listen, it's not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken. Listen, it's not, I'm not a done deal yet on this. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead of me, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul knew exactly where he wanted to go in life. Because he could confidently say, this one thing, 
this one thing that I do. He had already decided what is ultimately important to him and what it was going to take to be successful in this journey through life. And just like Paul, listen, we, we need to decide instead of living life by accident that we are going to live on purpose as Jesus' followers. Paul's words give us some insight into how to do this. So check this out on your notes. Number one, if you're going to be successful, it begins with this. Feed my soul. If I'm going to be successful, I have to feed my soul because that's what will drive my plans. This is the first step because it changes how you think. In Romans chapter 12, Paul would write this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God do what? Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll be able to know God's will for your life, which is good, by the way, and pleasing and perfect. Let him change the way you think. Look at what he said in Philippians 3. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing, not knowing about, not hearing about, not knowing their stories about him in a book, not, not seeing, but knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. You want to feed your soul? You be intentional about spending time knowing Jesus. Read the book to find out what it has to say about his life, what he has to say about you living your life. In Psalm 32, God says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You know what happens when I read the Bible? So not, listen, this, not, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking when I read the Bible, not as a pastor, when I read the Bible for me, for Mike, when Mike takes time in the morning, just to, wow, talking in the third person, that's so weird. When I... <laughs> Mike doesn't like talking in the third person. Listen, <laughs> the reason I spend time every morning in God's word is because I get perspective. It helps me see how big God is compared to everything going on around me. It reminds me of who he is and how big he is. I realize whose I am and why he has me here on this earth. And by the way, can I just, I'll slip this in as well. That's a great reason to be at church every week. Do you know now the national average in the United States for those who attend church regularly, 1.8 times a month, regular attenders. Those, that's the best. Those are the big attenders. <laughs> 1.8 times a month. Listen, do you know what happens? You know, here's what we're missing out on. When we don't come together like this, when we're here together, I hear God's truth explained in relevant ways. And I say, oh, yeah. That's what this is about. That's this. This is why he says that this is why we do things this way. This is why my life should be lived in this way. And maybe it's a song that we sing, maybe something we sang earlier. And you're going, wow, man, that really, there was a thought in that song that just transformed the way I think, or maybe it's something that'll be said during the message or during the offering time or in the hallway or in a classroom. You hear something that a conversation you have with a friend, even before anything starts or after everything's done and you go, oh, Man, I'd have missed out on that if I hadn't been there. That's because out in the real world, the reason we gather together is out in the real world all week long. You are being sold a different perspective than the perspective Jesus gives you. 
Is that fair to say? Does that sound right to you? A different way to live. But in here, we are reminded of what's really important, and it feeds our soul, and we get this perspective back. I wonder how many of us are like the, the old hunting dog that the owner took out, and they were hunting deer. And then they got out, and the dog caught the scent of a deer, and he took off after the deer, and he was running, and all of a sudden, he caught the scent of a rabbit, and he took a sharp left turn, and man, he was gone chasing the rabbit. While he's chasing the rabbit, he took another sharp turn, and when the hunter finally caught up with him, he was barking down a gopher hole. Listen, I wonder if you're like me. God has called you. you. You know he's called you to go after big game. But you keep finding yourself barking down gopher holes. It's because we've lost perspective. We forgot who God has made us to be, what he's called us to do. This helps us to be realistic about where we are, where we want to be at the end of the year, and what it's going to take to get there. So that's the first one. We need to, we need to make sure that we, we get our, our head, our thinking straight. Here's the second one. We need to consider the cost. Because after we've gained perspective, and after we are reminded of who God is, after we're reminded of who he has created us to be, and where we want to be at the end of the year, part of the cost is walking away from what we once thought was important. One of the things that we say out loud in the office, we say it at my house, is when you say yes to one thing, it means you need to say no to something else. You can't just keep saying yes to things. Your calendar doesn't allow it, right? So when you say yes to something, that means you have to say no to something. You have to prioritize. Part of the cost is walking away from what you used to think was important. That's why Paul says in verse 8, message version. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. Dog poop. <laughs> my assistant said, I know why you're doing this. You get to say dog poop from the platform. <laughs> I love the message version of the Bible. <laughs> Listen, where we want to be has to direct our actions. It's how we live our, it's why we live our lives the way we do. I love the story of Reader's Digest had about a woman who traveled 50 miles to visit a friend. And when she got ready to leave, uh, she went out to her car to get in it, realized she'd locked the keys in the car. So she called her husband at home. He didn't have a cell phone, but he was at home. He answers the phone and, and, uh, uh, and, and explained what had happened. And ladies, unlike most of your husbands who would be very understanding, um, he was exasperated. And he said to her, last words before he hung up were, you just stay right there. I'll be there as quick as I can. And, and so he hung up and she went back out to her car and she found out actually that one of the back doors was unlocked and she could actually get into her car and get to the, get to the key. So she ran back in the house to call her husband, but he didn't have a cell phone and he'd already left. And so she got the answering machine and her friend said, what are you going to do when your husband gets here? Cause man, he's going to be kind of, <laughs> he's going to be kind of mad when he finds out he came here for no reason. The woman said, I'm going to do what any red blooded American wife would do. And she went back out and locked the door and slammed it shut. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> And all the women said, there you go. That's right. 
You know, because we need to weigh our, we need to know when Jesus talked to the crowds about what it means to follow Jesus and about a life of discipleship. Listen, he, he cautioned them. It wasn't some free for all. It wasn't a, hey, it's always going to be ponies and rainbows. He said, you need to count the cost of being my disciple before you sign up for this. In Luke 14, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. If we're going to be successful, we have to carefully weigh the cost of the decisions that we're making and decide, are we really willing to pay the cost of being on this path to success? The example of half-built towers is evidence of not thinking through the decision and, and making it properly. And here's what I wonder. When you look back on 2016, how many half-built towers do you have in your life? Just from last year, relationships, something in your career, something in your house, something in your marriage, something with your kids. That's one year. <laughs> And it wasn't because you couldn't do it. You just didn't, you didn't consider the cost before you got moving through it. Things we start. Here's what I think is the tough one. It's the next one. You ready? We need to make the sacrifice. Because once we've asked God for guidance and once we've weighed the cost and once we've sought the counsel of godly, wise friends, now we need to follow through on our plans and fulfill our commitments. And here's the deal. When it comes to success, the truth is for most of us, knowledge isn't the problem. We know what we need to do. We, we just, we're not willing to pay the price. I think that's what Paul meant when he said, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the price. Do you know what faithfulness to God cost the apostle Paul? cost him his position in society. It cost him friendships. It cost him financial stability. It cost him power, cost him prestige. Some believe his wife, that he was married and his wife left him because of his change, his faith change was too much for her. And she couldn't, she couldn't put her, couldn't wrap her head around that. He was willing to pay all of those things. Successful people are willing to pay a price that others are unwilling to pay. Ken Blanchard in his book, The One Minute Manager, says something uh, that ought to be important to us as Christians. He writes, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, uh, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. I like this last quote on your notes. If a person wakes up and finds himself a success, rest assured, he has not been asleep. This is a picture of Zoe Koplowitz. She participated in the 2000 New York City Marathon. She won the distinction of being the slowest to ever finish the New York City Marathon. It took her 33 hours and nine minutes to complete the race. She's 50 years old. She was 50 years old. She's a New York woman, suffers from multiple sclerosis, and she walks with two canes and could only manage a pace of one mile per hour. Koplowitz, who had walked the route of the New York City Marathon each of the previous 10 years, began the race with all of the other runners and vowed not to stop until she finished the 26-mile course. She walked through the night, required assistance from the police, 
because the streets that were once a race course had gone, they'd become streets again, and cars were on them. They had to clear the path for her. A day after the race was run, the next day, 33 hours and nine minutes after it started, she completed the marathon. She's completed 25 New York City marathons. She completed the Boston Marathon. And in 2015, she completed the London Marathon. Was she tired? Did she have sore feet? Did she have a sore back? Did she have blisters on her hands from where she walked with canes for 26 miles? She was willing to pay the price to succeed in compete, completing the marathon. And if we want to be successful in the different areas of our lives, then we have to determine that we're willing to pay the price of success as well. So as we thought about today, and Sunday being New Year's Day, and we talked about everything from what do we want to, you know, what, what, how do we want to start, you know, the snowball fight, that idea came into the mix at that point. How do we want to start with something really fun? These are some of the songs that we, and we want to make sure that we do. This is what we want to be talking about that day. We said, you know what we need to do that day is we, we want to take this moment as a response to this thought from what Paul has for us and make this commitment back to God through communion. Because that's when we take the cracker that reminds us of Jesus' body and the juice that reminds us of his blood shed for our sins on the cross, we remind ourselves of who is who in our lives. And that act in and of itself, every time we remember who Jesus is in our lives, listen, that feeds your soul. It puts, it puts fuel to the fire. And we consider the cost when we do this we stop and we consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus, not in general, but for me today in 2017, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it costs me to follow him. And every time we take communion, what we're saying is, I'm going to do this. It is January 1. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to say, today, today I belong to him. And this year, I will live my life in such a way that honors him in everything that I do. And when we take communion together this morning, we determine again this week, we will follow.